0: chapter seventeen of the broken nursery by grace and harold johnson this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by maria therese seventeen having formed a somewhat unfavourable opinion of the town of harlow from the appearance of the county jail and the attitude of the sheriff dan was unprepared for the sparkling modernity of the harlow daily news building he had expected a run-down obsolete press housed in an equally ancient building the news plant, although not as large, was more up-to-date than the Merton Dispatch. He introduced himself to the girl at the information desk in the lobby, and said he would like to speak to the managing editor. That will be Mr. John Burt. I'll see if he's in now. She turned, pressed a button, and talked into the intercom box on her desk. Then she turned back to Dan. Mr. Burt will see you right away. Pointing to the stairway visible through glass walls and door, she added, You'll find him in the first room to your right on the second floor. Dan thanked her and climbed the stairs, pleased to find some efficiency in this town. Mr. Burt was dark and spare in his early fifties, with a grim mouth that did not relax even when he held out a friendly hand. He talked at a nervous speed, which Dan found agreeable after the laconic manner of Arnie King. When Dan had told him why he was in Harlow, the editor's eyebrows arched quizzically and you're to find a solution in a couple of days so you can be back in ohio by wednesday or thursday you'll have to move fast as it sounds like a big order to me he then took off his bifocals and polished them vigorously you'll need help so i'll get someone to show you the files and lend you a hand without further word bert turned and pressed a button on his desk within a minute a young man with a wide-at-the-shoulders taper construction of a lifeguard appeared this is horace watson bert said He'll help you in every possible way. Horace, this is Dan O'Hara from Merton, Ohio. He'll explain why he's here and what he wants. Then turning to Dan, Bert added, "'Lots of luck.'" Horace Watson's gray eyes were filled with friendliness as he shook hands. Before Dan had been with him many minutes, he realized that Horace had the mind of a trial lawyer, intricate and precise, ready with questions that would clarify any situation. Horace led the way to a small room beyond the editorial room, which housed two record-deck machines, with steel-filing cabinets of films on which all past issues of the Harlow Daily News were photographed. Dan spent the next ten minutes telling about the murders in Merton and the attempt on Sam's life, and also why he had asked to be sent to Harlow. Horace smiled broadly. "'You've got yourself out a big job. Where do we start?' i thought maybe the best place would be when sheriff duffield took office back in nineteen twenty good enough here's the nineteen twenty file you do the first six months and i'll do the last six then we'll tackle nineteen twenty one within a minute films were inserted into the two machines and both men sat back and gazed intently at the white screen upon which the printed accounts of the events of days weeks and months in nineteen twenty were projected when a story involving Duffield appeared, they took notes for further search and study. They worked through the morning, and after lunch went back to it again. At 3.30 Dan pressed his hands against his eyes and said, "'I don't know about you, but I've had all I can take of this. It's like watching TV for hours and hours. My head's ringing.' Horace smiled. "'Tis a bit soporific, but I'm rather used to it. Every chance I get I'm in here reading and taking notes from the old papers." He hesitated a moment before he added, I'm doing research for a novel. Dan's eyes widened in interest. Great. What's it about? Horace laughed. Not much of anything yet, but I've got a lot of notes. The scene is to be right here in Harlow, from post-Civil War days up through the Depression of the 1930s. He grinned. The great American novel, you know. Sounds okay, Dan said. Good luck with it. While Dan collected his notes from the table, beside the record act, he said, "'I'm interested in the Cutler brothers, Frank and Kim, "'the guys who held up and killed the treasurer of the Warnock-Willings Company back in April 1921.' "'Yeah, I picked them out, too,' Horace said. "'Were they ever caught?' Dan asked. "'I don't know. We could ask Mr. Burt. He's got a long memory.' When they approached the editor, he leaned back in his chair and nervously picked at his right ear, Yes, I remember them well. They were in high school with me. Frank was a senior and Kim a junior when they pulled that robbery. They were just a couple of no-good, first-class stinkers. I was a sophomore at the time, so don't remember too many details. They got away with 30000 I believe. $32,000, the paper said, Dan replied. Bert nodded. $32,000. Fortune in those days. Still a lot of money. Did they ever apprehend them? Dan asked. No. Bert moved uneasily in his chair. Funny thing, too, they were never caught. Sheriff Duffield lost his reelection on account of it. Queer that they should get away with such a crime. Just two kids, Frank, big and heavy, played guard on the football team for a while. Kim, a skinny squirt with buck teeth. Of course, police detection wasn't the science it is now. They'd never get by today. Dan and Horace nodded in agreement. I'm interested in them. "'Dan said. "'Do you think they're who you're looking for?' "'Could be. "'The memo pad on Brighton's desk at the time he was murdered "'was partly torn away, and what was left were the letters "'others, which could have originally been the word brothers.' "'Dan moistened his lips. "'I'd sure like to see a picture of those guys.' "'Wasn't there one in the paper printed at the time of the robbery?' "'Bert asked. "'No, sir,' Horace replied. Bert rubbed his forehead with his right hand. No, we didn't have one. Of course, I wasn't working here at the time. He forced a light laugh. I'm not that old. I do remember, though, that the Cutler brothers lived with an older sister, who was married to a no-account drunk by the name of Hank Taylor. The Taylors moved out of town right after the robbery. I don't suppose anyone in Harlow, now, would know where they are. Maybe I could pick up a picture of Kim and Frank at the high school, Dan said. If Frank played football, he'd surely be in the school annual, and especially since he was a senior. The editor looked at his watch. I'll phone Mr. Weaver, the principal, and see if he's still at the school. After a short conversation on the phone, Mr. Burt turned back to Dan. Mr. Weaver will see you if you can go right over. He'll be there for another half hour, and will be glad to let you see the annual for 1921. At five o'clock, Dan, deeply dispirited, stepped into the phone booth in the lobby of the Park Hotel. While he waited for the connection to be made to Merton and Mary Altman, a sense of frustration made an artery in his neck throb until he could feel every heartbeat against his shirt collar. He had been so confident when he started out that morning, and now he had only failure to report. It was his own fault, too. He had to admit that he was too prone to the man-on-the-street practice of basing decisions on hunches and intuition— rather than on scientifically established facts. He'd be better off if he stuck to straight reporting and left crime detection to the experts. His thoughts were interrupted by the cheerful ring of Mary's voice and the receiver. "'Hi, honey,' Dan said. "'It sure is good to hear your voice. How's Sam?' He was still unconscious at four o'clock. "'Bad, huh?' "'Yes.' There was a moment's pause. "'Did you get any leads, Dan?' Yes and no. Thought I had a good one, but it fizzled out. There were two guys, Kim and Frank Cutler, who looked as if they could be suspects, but I can't locate a picture of them. Dan then related quickly what he knew of the Cutlers, and how there were no pictures, not even in the high school annual. Clear they wouldn't have had at least a picture of Frank in the annual, since he was going to graduate. Pictures have to be in before April, Mary said. I know because I was editor of our annual. Would you have run his picture after the robbery, if you could have pulled it out? Of course not. Well, that's probably what happened here. Anything connected with the Cutlers probably was censored. They sure were not the pride of Harlow High, Dan said. Yes, I can see that. Even so, Mary, I can't help feeling that I'm on the right track, but I have to get a picture of them to know. Even that might not help, as people change— but there ought to be enough of a similarity to give us a lead. You said Frank Cutler played football? Mary asked. Yes. Then somewhere in Harlow, some woman has this picture. Football players are always heroes, even if they do commit robbery. Frank must have had a girlfriend. Find her, and I bet you'll find a picture. Women are pretty sentimental creatures, I'm sorry to say. Dan found himself nodding in agreement as Mary talked. You're right, honey. You'll solve this case yet. What would I ever do without you? That's a swell idea. I've got to run now and trachez la femme. If I can track down those picks before the late bus leaves for St. Louis, I'll take it and spend the night there. That way, I can be home before ten o'clock tomorrow morning. If I am, I'll take you to lunch. It's a date. Take care of yourself, Dan, and get that picture. Dan hung up the receiver with a tremendous surge of energy. Mary had a good idea there. Leave it to a gal to know an angle. But would any woman admit now that she even knew Frank Cutler, let alone had a picture of him? Maybe not, but he'd give it a good try. Since Mr. Bird had been in high school with the Cutlers, he might know the names of some of the girls. He immediately phoned the editor at his home and explained what he wanted. Bird agreed that it could be a good lead and asked Dan to hold the line while he talked the matter over with his wife. "'Women have a better memory for such trivial things as who went with whom,' he said. "'After several minutes Bert returned to the phone and gave Dan five names with addresses. "'As well as Mrs. Bert can remember, these are the only ones who used to date Frank Cutler. "'Maybe you've got something. I sure hope so. Good luck.' "'Dan found a taxi in front of the hotel to take him around. "'At the first two homes he had the door closed in his face.' That both women had known and remembered Frank Cutler was evident from the way their mouths screwed up with distaste and the vehemence of their denials. His third venture brought him to a house, badly in need of repair, in the poorer residential section of the town. It was the home of Mrs. Wood, knee-kitty Long. The porch steps were so rickety that Dan was almost afraid to trust his weight on them. He knocked at the door and waited. From inside came the squawking of a radio or television set. He knocked again. After several minutes a large, heavy-set woman opened the door. On quick appraisal Dan put her down as easy-going and jovial. Maybe he'd get somewhere here, he thought, as he noted the slovenly dress, the wisp of hair which strayed in every direction, and the tiny cupid bow mouth, on which hovered the remains of what could once have been considered a siren smile. As soon as he had ascertained that she was the Mrs. Wood on his list, Dan explained how, as a reporter for the Merton Dispatch, he was interested in information concerning Kim and Frank Cutler, and especially pictures of them. For a second, Mrs. Wood hesitated, and Dan felt sure she was going to deny that she had ever known them. Then she fluttered her eyelashes and giggled. The interest that flashed in her eyes was reassuring. Come in, maybe I can help you, she said. Dan stepped into a shabby living room. The furniture was nicked and scarred the upholstered sofa showing a spring through the fabric. Empty cups and pot bottles, and the remains of a between-meal snack, stood on the table and floor. A television set placed against the far wall was making large faces and loud noises. Mrs. Wood presented Dan to her husband, a seedy individual, who acknowledged the introduction sitting down, and without taking his eyes from the television screen. Turning to Dan, Mrs. Wood said, "'And you think that Kim and Frank Cutler... Might have murdered someone up in your town? It's possible, Dan said, but we can't be sure until we see a picture of them. If I should happen to have a picture of them, would I get my name in the paper? She asked. That depends, Dan replied cautiously, on whether or not you'd want it. Oh, but I would. Again her eyelids fluttered. It might mean I would get on a TV program, one of those quizzes where you win lots of big prizes. I'm sure the publicity would help, Dan said. Despite her weight, she moved quickly when she wanted to. She hastily poked around in the bookcase in the far corner of the room, and then went through a stack of old magazines piled on the bottom shelf of a long table. She shook her head. Excuse me a moment while I run upstairs. My snapshot album must be up there. After what seemed to Dan an interminable time, she returned, book in hand. With wheezy weariness, she seated herself on the sofa, moving to the right to allow Dan room to sit beside her and still avoid the exposed spring. "'Let's see what we can find,' she said cheerily, as she began to leaf through the shabby book. "'I did have some pictures of Frank. He was an awful good football player in his day, you know. Too bad he didn't go straight. Might even have a picture of Kim, too.' After turning a number of pages, they came to a picture of a young man, seated astraddle a motorcycle, his center hair part, and high stiff collar dating the picture. "'That's Frank!' she exclaimed. "'That's when he first got his motorcycle!' Dan gasped. "'Well, what do you know?' Mrs. Wood looked at him with surprise. "'Do you know him?' "'I should say I do.' Mrs. Wood giggled when she read the names of endearment written to her at the bottom of the picture. He sure was a card, that Frank, she said. I'm sure he was, Dan replied. The ace of hearts. Again Mrs. Wood giggled. You're not so bad yourself, the ace of hearts. That's cute. Dan laughed. Do you have a picture of Kim? Mrs. Wood turned a leaf of the book. I don't know, but it seems as though I did have one. Six of us on a picnic. Let's see. Two thirds of the way through the album, they came to a group picture three boys and three girls. Mrs. Woods stabbed her fat forefinger at one of the young men. That's Kim. After a momentary pause, she added, That's Frank and me. Again, Dan let out a long whistle. Do you know Kim, too? she asked. I certainly do. This surely proves that we live in a small world. "'We sure do,' Mrs. Wood agreed, as she launched into the story of who the other boy and two girls were. Halfway through the tornado of words, Dan cut in. "'Would you let me have this picture of Frank and this one with Kim on it? I'd like to have them enlarged. We'll want to run them in the merchant dispatch. I'll see that they are returned to you in good condition.' Mrs. Wood considered his request for such a long time that Dan was fearful that she might refuse. But with a giggle she finally said, "'Here,' You can have them, if you put my picture in the paper, too, and say I helped to capture the murderers. She stopped as if afraid he would not grant her request. I've never had my picture in the newspaper. Sure thing. I'll guarantee it, Dan said. Where's the picture of you? The pages of the album flew back and forth in a flurry, until at last she pointed to a snapshot of a really beautiful girl in her teens. That's me when I was a senior. Let's use that one. Fine. Fine. Dan agreed. While she took the pictures from the album, Dan said, "'Now I'd like to impose upon you for one more thing, Mrs. Wood. I'll mark the back of Frank Cutler's picture lightly with a pencil, Exhibit A, and Kim's with Exhibit B. I'd like you to write a note to the police of Merton, stating that Exhibit A is Frank Cutler and Exhibit B is Kim Cutler. They might not believe me, you know.' "'I'd be glad to,' Mrs. Wood said. "'Wait until I find some ink and paper.' "'I have a pen and paper with me,' Dan said as he reached into his coat pocket. "'We'll just make it a short note,' he added as he began to dictate to her. She wrote easily and in a very legible hand, and readily signed the statement. "'It's a wonderful thing what you've done, Mr. O'Hara, to think that if it wasn't for you—' she paused and then giggled. "'And me, too. Those murderers might go on murdering.' Dan went at the flood of words. "'He was eager to get away.' He noted with satisfaction that her husband apparently shared his discomfort at her garrulity. With a signed statement and pictures in his pocket, Dan made his good-bye as gracefully as possible. As soon as the door closed behind him, he let out his breath in a long, quiet exhalation of relief, paused on the porch to light a cigarette, and then headed quickly for town. While riding to the hotel, it occurred to Dan that Kitty Wood's letter of identification might not be enough to satisfy Wilkes, if only Mr. Burt would write a similar letter, the case would be tied up in one neat little package. Dan leaned forward in his seat. Stop a minute at the first place and you know there's a telephone. The cab driver nodded, and a few minutes later pulled up in front of a drug store. I'll only be a minute, Dan yelled as he jumped out. Take your time, friend. This meter's been running all evening on you. In response to Dan's phone call, Mr. Burt said he would be delighted to take a look at the pictures and identify them. After a ten-minute drive across town, the taxi stopped in front of a large, white, colonial house. Here you are. Want me to wait? Yep, Dan said and grinned. And for your information, the meter's on the written dispatch. The cab driver shrugged his shoulders. Mr. Burt answered Dan's knock. Step inside, Mr. O'Hara, and I'll have that look. Dan handed the two pictures to Bert, who walked over to the lamp in the entrance hall. One glance was enough. Yes, this one is Frank, and this is Kim. Be all right if I endorse these on the back? I'd rather not, Mr. Bert. I promised to get the pictures back in good condition. How about co-signing with Mrs. Wood in her letter of identification? Let's see the letter. As soon as he read the letter, Bert signed it. You've had a big day. As I understand it, you recognize Frank and Kim Cutler— as men you know in Merton. Yes, sir, that's right. I'm going to ask a favor of you now, Bert said. Will you phone me at the news as soon as these men are arrested and give me the whole story? There are many people around here who would like to read Phinney's to a bad chapter in our town's history. I'd be happy to do that. You've certainly been a big help to me, and I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Dan hurried out to the waiting taxi. There was an exultant ring in his voice when he said to the cab-driver, To the park hotel, and hurry. End of chapter 17